Welcome to the Father Jim Willig Gospel Teachings Podcast, presented by Heart to Heart, a Catholic media ministry. Father Jim was a well-known and much-loved diocesan priest from Cincinnati, Ohio. Inspired by God's Word, for many years, Father Jim presented a weekly Bible study on the Sunday Gospels. In 2001, Father Jim went home to the Lord after a battle with cancer, but his recordings and teachings live on to inspire thousands. First, we hear from Father Jim's good friend, Jesuit priest, Father Michael Sparrow, who opens this podcast by proclaiming the gospel reading. Then, Father Jim's illuminating gospel teaching follows. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won over your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, so that every fact may be established on the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. Amen, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, amen, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything for which they are to pray, it shall be granted to them by my heavenly Father. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. The Gospel of the Lord. I know a young woman who is suffering from an eating disorder problem. And it's the hardest thing to understand and even harder to watch herself starve herself, even to the point now that her body is shutting down. Some of the basic bodily systems, her mind, she's not able to concentrate. She's so weak, she can't do natural, normal activity. And other bodily functions are starting to shut themselves down because For whatever reason, something in her mind or psychological makeup seems to almost possess her not to feed herself. And then when she does eat, she binges on, you know, like a box of chocolate. But and then, of course, binges on all this junk food and then proceeds to vomit that up. It's just causing her parents and family just a hardship. But fortunately, they are treating it, and they have her in therapy, a really good eating disorder unit, Christ Hospital. And the other day, I was praying for her and thinking about her problem, and it occurred to me that one of the greatest spiritual problems that I believe face our church today is something I would call spiritual anorexia and or bulimia. It's an anorexic condition that makes so many of us think 
that we could actually get by the week by only going to one meal on Sunday. You know what I'm saying? It is crazy thinking to imagine that we could do the work of God and starve ourselves lacking the strength that it takes and requires. And if we are not on some kind of daily diet to feed our soul, then brothers and sisters, we have an eating disorder problem. And it needs to be treated at this Christ meeting, this hospital, this place where we are fed the best of food, the Word of God. You know, so many of us, too, suffer, I believe, from a spiritual bulimia insofar as we fill ourselves up with junk food, so many other things that can never satisfy the heart's deepest longings. But there's nothing like the Word of God to strengthen us. It is pure vitamin, pure nutrition for our soul. And I say that from the very start as we begin another season with the Lord, to say here is where we will be fed on the best of food. It's such great food that it's Jesus Christ himself. When we study the gospel, it is as though the Lord himself comes before us and fills our hearts, our minds, our souls with his Holy Spirit. That should sustain us and strengthen us more than anything, especially if we make it, as I say, a diet, a habit that we continually feed ourselves. So today, I just thank you for coming. I thank you and I encourage you to keep coming here to the table of the Lord, to be fed by his word and all the other ways, the Eucharist, the prayers that sustain our souls. And then we could expect we will be strong and we will be able to do the work of God. I keep thinking why so many of our people in the parish don't get more involved or why the church or Christians don't have more influence in the world today. I think we're all too spiritually weak. Does it seem that way to you? We haven't become strong enough to become that mighty army that God wants us to be. So we've got to go to this kind of feeding, I really believe what we are about is really not optional. It's absolutely necessary for our spiritual growth. As St. Jerome said so long ago, to be ignorant of the scriptures is to be ignorant of Christ. And we have starved ourselves too long on a diet that doesn't include the Bible or the Bible teaching or inspirational preaching. We must find those places and sources and resources where we are spiritually nourished. I hope and pray this could be always one such place. So that's my hope. And that's what I invite you to imagine, as our gospel today will tell us, whenever two or three gather together in my name, there I am, Jesus says. There I am. So please see the Lord here with us. And it is the Lord's word that will sustain us and strengthen us. I'm absolutely convinced of this, that if we stick to this diet and allow the word of God to stick to us, huh? that there is nothing that will strengthen us more to do the work of the Lord in a great and powerful way. I'd like to begin this particular gospel teaching by 
starting with the last sentence. You might recall what it is, remember? Jesus says to his disciples, Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in their midst. I just learned this week, having studied this very verse, that originally this referred to scripture study. Jesus was actually, or I could should say probably, recalling the familiar rabbinic teaching of a similar verse that went like this. If two people sit together and the words of the law, that is the Torah, the scriptures for the Hebrew people, pass between them, then the divine presence abides between them. I'd like to take this verse then as a way of launching into what we are about here and kind of offering what I hope will be a somewhat of an orientation to the importance of scripture study and how we can set about this course this year. One of the most important things that Jesus did in his life was to call disciples. You would recall that the first thing he did in his public ministry after his baptism at the Jordan and his retreat into the desert was to walk the familiar seashore of Galilee and call forth followers to come with him. Now, this is some interesting background that I've learned over the years that what Jesus did was not at all uncommon. In fact, in the first century Palestine, this is how people went to school. They would choose a rabbi, teacher, who they would go to and he would teach them the Torah, that is the first five books of the Hebrew Scriptures. He would school them in the commandments of the Lord. And learning this, he would also teach them the art of interpreting that law and applying it to their life. So that an educated Jewish person was someone who knew the Word of God. Again, I'm going to translate this to today, but keep that in mind because there are so many, I believe, ignorant and virtually illiterate Catholic people who don't know the Word of God. In a spiritual sense, of course, I'm speaking that there's so many of us who are uneducated. For a Jewish person not to know the commandments, they wouldn't know the purpose of life. And yet, I was just speaking to a teacher the other day who teaches one of our primary schools, wonderful school, but she said how alarmed she is that the kids don't know the Ten Commandments. They didn't know what a beatitude was. Some of them heard of the rosary, a lot of them didn't. They didn't know basic prayers. They didn't. It was amazing. She says, wow, we need to go back to the basics. I said, amen. And that's not just true of our kids. I mean, that's true of all ages. But I'm saying this because we have to be so convinced of this that we will go because this is what the disciples will be asked to do later. To be schooled by the Lord in the word of God. So these little disciples would gather around a rabbi and he would teach them the word and then they would you'd be like a, a tutor to them and then they would go forth and share that with their family. And everyone, father and mother, was expected to teach their children the word of God as, of course, we should do today. For Jesus, he had much the same in mind, but added a very distinctive fashion to his way of discipling. First, in terms of his peers, 
and colleagues, the students chose the rabbi, not vice versa. But with Jesus, he took the initiative to call for certain students. And what's always amazing to me is that you would expect him to find and figure out who the finest people would be, right? To get the brightest and the few who would be outstanding spiritual leaders. But instead, he didn't seem to do the usual IQ test or personality profile or he just went along the beach and picked out a few common fishermen. Amazing, isn't it? The look at the people he chose. And what he did ask of them, he, although he chose ordinary men, and we know that women joined in the company as well, but would not formally his disciples, but informally, we know they were part of the company of the Twelve, we know he called forth an extraordinary commitment from them. The call narratives are kind of a telescopic version of something that would have happened over a larger period of time. In other words, you want to look at it with a longer lens of time as the relationship with Jesus would have evolved with them. There would have come a point where he said, so if you enter and enroll in my school of discipleship, you must be willing to commit everything you are to me and make this discipleship top priority. Nothing else can be second. And so they entered into this relationship, and part of what Jesus taught them is not only the law of the Lord, but life with the Lord. And this is a big point. He not only taught them something intellectually, but something that they would assume emotionally, spiritually, and integrated holistically. He taught them not information so much as formation and even transformation. His goal and purpose of discipleship is to transform these disciples into people who would be, as it were, living Bibles that would speak the Word of God, every word they would speak, who would show forth the lessons they had learned just in the way they lived their lives. And so Jesus, in a sense, his relationship to them was like an apprenticeship, an apprenticeship where they watched and observed, and so they had to be really close to the Lord. Relationship was paramount importance. That was very secondary for the other disciples with the rabbis. But to Jesus, it was primary. Who you are in relationship to him is how you learn. And so they would absorb Jesus by their close contact, continual contact, so that they had to learn by example that he would set and by the words that he would teach. And then they were asked to go forth. They were asked to share in his very work, his same mission, which is profound, that when Jesus left, he said, I want you to be me to the world. Think about that. What I marvel at as I look at the disciples is that they were not a model class of students. They were not model saints. They were not scholars. They were simple, ordinary people like you and like me. They fought a lot. They argued between themselves. Remember one saying, are you more important than they are? They irritated Jesus. Recall the gospel a couple weeks ago. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. They fell asleep on him. As in the Garden of Gethsemane, they betrayed him, denied him. They failed the test over and over again. But Jesus never gave up on them. 
And eventually, 11 out of the 12 laid down their life for him. And I say all that to make the point, what I believe, what I've prayed about, and what I feel moved to share with you today is I believe you are being invited to this class with Christ. Right here, we are the disciples of Jesus Christ. Can you believe that? Will you accept that? He is calling you by name to come and make a commitment and that involves a sacrifice to giving up your time, your energy, your attention, so that you can learn from him. Remember, disciple means learner or student. And how do we learn? By listening, absorbing his teaching in the Holy Gospel. We observe his example by reading the stories that tell us of the miracles, his healings, the way he was with people, so that we could take on Christ ourselves and be Christ to others. What I'm thinking is that we're no extraordinary class. I'm presuming we're as normal as the disciples, whatever that means. You know, we're not most theologically educated. I'm not. The most intelligent, I'm not. The most uh, spiritually holy, I'm not. And that's who Jesus loves to call, the ordinary, to do extraordinary, that we would know it's him who is doing it. I'm asking you if you would accept the invitation this year to enroll yourself into the school of discipleship with Jesus Christ. Are you willing? Are you ready? I believe what we are entering into here is a commitment to be in class with Christ. I'd like to think of myself, if I may say so, as his teaching assistant. I'm just taking the lessons that he provided us and trying to hand it on to us as he's already prepared the lesson. The text then obviously we're using the inspired word of God. When we read this gospel in church, we stand up because we believe Jesus is speaking to us. And when we open the gospel, we believe we're opening ourselves to having Jesus come to us and do in us exactly what he did in the gospel story. Think about that. As we hear about Jesus' teaching, so is Jesus' teaching. As is hearing Jesus working in healing, we will see Jesus working in healing today. If your brother or sister should commit some wrong against you, go and point out their fault, but keep it between the two of you. I have to be honest, I don't like this line. <laughs> I don't, this is the hardest, darnest thing to do, isn't it? There's something I find difficult about confrontation because it seems to me to spell tension. We've all been there. We've all done it. And some of us have been burnt because of it, right? Confrontation is one of the hardest things for people to do, especially people like ourselves, people who like people and like to get along with people and like to be nice to people. And confrontation, it is tough love language. The problem is, if we aren't willing to really confront people at times, the problem is it never goes away. The problem stays and even infests 
and grows in us and in the workplace or in the relationship or at home and things fester and things always grow. And before you know it, this is a monster who keeps growing overnight larger and bigger and before it gets way out of proportion. And these walls are built up or these prejudices are formed or these tensions split people. And this is a problem in the church today. So many people and so many families. So we must go and talk to the people. If we don't, what almost inevitably happens is if we don't go to the person we have a problem with, we tend to go to everybody else to talk about them, right? This happens all the time. I believe the first thing we must do is pray. People uh, tell somebody, if you're angry, count to 10. I say, just count on the Lord. Take it to the Lord. I usually have found I can't go directly immediately to the person or I'll say something I'll regret. You know, you can't explode. So Jesus is not saying, go give him a piece of your mind or lay it on him. You know, he's not saying that. What we need to do sometimes is often have a confidant that we could air things out, ventilate, and I think we need such a person. And then we need to, I think, uh, really pray for understanding, for wisdom. Is some More often than not, I've learned when I'm really upset about something, sometimes because that person reminds me of me. <laughs> I've done that. And so we need to pray for wisdom and pray for understanding. Secondly, I believe when we are through the harder emotional part, we've done the inner work ourselves, the next step is to go to them, but this is really important, humbly and lovingly. If it's not said humbly, then I think we discount whatever we say. If it's not said lovingly, I don't think anybody should listen to us. I think it can be too hurtful. And Jesus is not speaking, of course, or advocating any kind of lashing out without kindness. We need to always speak the truth with love. Speak the truth with love. The thing I think helps me the most is to say I statements. In other words, I'm not pointing the finger saying, you made me so angry. It's like, I'm angry and you're just taking responsibility for your own feelings and you're just using I, 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 instead of you, 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 put you out there, you put them on the spot, and they come back defensive. Okay, it's so important. So we go to them, humble I statements and loving language. And, you know, I've also done that once, and the person says, well, okay, thank you very much for sharing your feelings. So the, the third thing is they can't ignore us. Jesus said they might ignore us. Jesus said it might not be effective. Get ready for that. Prepare yourself. It may not be effective. Maybe you should take someone else then on the witness of another person or bring the whole church, you know, bring it to a higher authority. Or ultimately, he said, just bring it to God. You got to put it in his hands. I've had so many people come and talk, for instance, about their children who don't go to church. And I often said, have you gone to them to share your faith? If you communicate your concern, it's such a loving concern, or a spouse could be upset with each other. I said, have you told your spouse, or have you spoken to your children, or have you said this to this person? 
And we really need to speak up more. Speak up more, but, but speak up with love. So I think that is the beautiful gospel that we're being challenged with today. I would suggest an ending that our homework is to take a moment to think, is there such a person in our life right now whom we are having some kind of struggle with? Is there some way we might need to speak to them or relate to them? Is there something that we can do for them or be for them that this gospel would ask of us? And then finally, I would just say, here we are at the beginning of this year. See with me, please see through me, Jesus Christ standing here. As is my prayer that he stand here every week. For where two or three are gathered together in his name, there he is in our midst. He is here, and I think if he would say anything to us, it's how much he loves us being here with him. How much he respects and admires the fact you are all giving up something to be here. You're all sacrificing and committing yourself to him, and he appreciates it. And he has something very important to share with us through these weeks. He will give back to us many times more through this teaching and through the blessing that will come in this time with Jesus. So let us just today give thanks for his beautiful gospel that forms us and calls us to be his disciples today and that we will be sent to share this good news with others. Thank you for listening to Father Jim's Gospel Teaching. We hope you have been inspired and will subscribe to this weekly podcast and share it with your family and friends. The mission of Heart to Heart is to proclaim the good news of God's Son, Jesus, to the entire world. For more inspirational teachings by Father Jim and Father Michael, visit our website, www.htoh.us. May God bless your heart and the hearts of all your loved ones.